Welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller North by Northwest, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Josh Horowitz from 5 Minutes of Trouble, 5 Minutes of Bonsai, and 12 Chimes It's Midnight, and my co-host, again, here for the next minute 44, is the one, the only, Brett Stillo. Yeah, it's me. Hello. Hello, yeah. It's, it's, why are we talking like this? I don't know. But I don't know. <laughs> it'll, it'll become very relevant in just a moment. I've, <laughs> I've been looking forward to this minute for weeks. And now uh, I finally we all get look to forward to it. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, in my opinion, the, the high watermark of this film, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Happy to talk about minute 44 of this fine motion picture. Yes, uh, minute 44. So these mi- or this minute starts with Roger Thornhill walking toward the ticket window at Grand Central Terminal and ends with a ticket taker speaking to nobody. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about that ticket taker pretty That's soon. T- we're going to be talking we? about that ticket taker, but uh, first I think, you know, I think you noticed some interesting things about uh, this minute. Yeah. So one of the first things I noticed as we're starting to do that tracking shot as he gets to the ticket taker's window is there's some free product placement for Pepsi. A uh, big nice sign that was up there probably just happened to be there in the terminal. Um, and I was curious to see if I could find any interesting things about Pepsi. I, I didn't really find about Pepsi, but I, I did find some interesting tidbits on its rival Coca-Cola. So here's a little did you know. So did you know that Coca-Cola cost a fixed price of a nickel from 1886 until when this movie is supposed to take place in 1959? So it was a nickel from then till then. And uh, the reason? Mostly due to the fact that there were so many vending machines out there. And people were used to just throwing a nickel in and getting a Coke. Okay. And after a while, this sort of became untenable for Coca-Cola. I mean... You know, a nickel in 1886 was certainly more than a nickel in 1959. And so in in an attempt to raise their prices in a way that wouldn't really irk consumers as much, uh, apparently Coca-Cola asked the Treasury Department of the U.S. in 1953 if they would mint a a 7.5 cent piece. (laughs) So it would just be a single coin just for the purposes of buying Coca-Cola. But no, that failed. Though it would have been amusing to have a, a seven and a half cent piece. I want to know more about the lobby that was trying to pass this uh, <laughs> legislation for the a coin that I imagine would be called a cokey or maybe a, a cola coin. <laughs> That's fascinating. Well, I, I can imagine that they, they had such a uh, you know a hold in that sector of, of the soda industry that they felt that they could try to pressure them, but uh, but no, I guess Ike. Or no, that would have been Truman, I guess, back then. Ike or Truman would have said uh, said no to that. That's fascinating. That's, but uh, uh, they, they tried other things, too. They actually attempted, apparently, to rig their vending machines that were <laughs> a nickel so that every tenth sale would give the hapless victim an empty bottle and force them to have to pay an extra nickel to get a Coke. Oh, that's low. And they figured that if they did that, then the average price would be like five and a half cents or something. Uh, and, and they did this, but uh, not not too popular with consumers, and that oh, too that, failed. That's dirty pool. I mean, I'd, I'd rather <laughs> just take the 
the price increase. I got to tell you, it's it's fascinating to know about this fixed price. I have of late a hobby of mine has been movie inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and this is we're in 1959. When you see, say, Cary Grant uh, tip somebody with a fiver, well, that's more like uh, I believe the the uh, the math. Uh, works out to it's a you know it's about ten times what that's worth today. So yeah. by today's standards, a fiver is like fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So that nickel can of Coke in '59 would be like mm, give or take fifty cents today. So mm-hmm. really a bargain uh, yeah. when you think about it. I just I just got a can of Coke on a train interestingly enough mm-hmm. and i think it was two bucks there's probably some price gouge there but mm. uh you know and certainly if you go to you know the fair or any sporting event you know yeah. they'll, they'll charge about five six bucks sometimes for just some yeah. some uh you know soda water basically exactly but it's, it's a, the fixed price thing is fascinating because that means coke got cheaper over the years yeah i know from our good friend and fellow podcaster mr pete mummert Hi, Pete. Hi, Pete. Hi, Pete. That uh, in the 1930s, the inflation rate or the, the ratio, if you will, was about 17 times. Hmm. So that means a can of Coke in 1936, because I'm sure Indy was thirsty at one point, hmm. uh, would have been, uh, what's, what's, on, what's 0.05 times 17? It's, it's more than 50 cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, I mean, I can mm. kind of understand a Coke executive's frustration that um, the, the, the price, the value of our product is sinking. Mm. You'd think that they would simply raise the prices, but again, you maybe with the machines being, I don't know, I don't know, an interesting dilemma that seems almost uh, impossible by today's standards. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, the the empty can. <laughs> that is dirty pool. I mean, it would it would have been interesting if like maybe they could make that into some sort of a contest, you know, like like yes, it's an empty can, but there's a coupon in the bottom for like I don't know, like two cans of Coke if they buy a six-pack or something like that. I, I don't know. They... Yeah. <laughs> you get a cola coin. You get a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> um Coke. Yeah. it's interesting. I didn't notice the Pepsi signs. Um, I'm, I'm going to call you on this one, man. I, I, oh. I have a, f- a feeling that that was not product placement, at least as we know it. Maybe it was just there conveniently in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I doubt they put that there as product placement. They probably just had all those things. Yeah. You, you see another one too, some hotel next to it. Can't yeah. tell what it is though. It does make me wonder, you know, the history of plot product placement in movies because, uh, you know, we've talked about how this is a prototype for James Bond films, and the, the Bond films were notorious for the deliberate product placement. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in particular, I'm, I'm thinking of Goldfinger when Felix Leitner is is parked conveniently in front of a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that, that's the blatancy of of the product placement in those movies. One interesting thing about the Pepsi signs is. Uh, the I believe she was the chairman of Pepsi at that time. By that time, what would be Miss Joan Crawford? Yes, I remember reading about this. 
Yeah. So I feel like, um, you know, if anybody was going to get their cola in a Hitchcock movie, uh, it would be Miss Joan Crawford. I, uh, I, I could actually picture Miss Crawford calling Mr. Hitchcock after the premiere of this movie and, um, you know, say, oh, I loved your picture, but, you know, there, you did have our product. <laughs> well done, Hitch. We expect to get a lot of things back from that. <laughs> exactly. That's my awful Joan Crawford. Yeah. I could imagine all kinds of scenarios here. Uh, and interesting note, I don't think those two ever worked together. Um, mm. And maybe this is one reason why. I don't know. But, uh, <sighs> but yeah, interesting call on the, on the Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Would you, in your research, you know, Pepsi in the, yeah, in the 60s, and again, this would be Miss Crawford's tenure, it, they really caught up with Coke. Yeah, I think I was reading somewhere that if, if it was like a 40% Coke, maybe it was about 30% Pepsi at the uh-huh. time, at least in the U.S. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was skewed everywhere else. Yeah, but Pepsi really, you know, made leaps and bounds in the 60s, and uh <laughs> You know, it, it became uh, more of a rivalry um, than it was. I think here in the in the late fifties, you know, Pepsi was still uh, the bottom to Coca Cola's mm. top. Can I say but that on this the, show? When the eighties would come, though, that's when the the cola wars would begin, as it were. Uh, a, a far different time. Yes. yes. There was <laughs> there was syrup running in the streets. It was. I, I'd rather you know. <laughs> Uh, quick question: Do you, are you old enough to remember the the travesty that was New Coke? I do. I, funny though, I I never drank soda. I still really don't. I just never had a thing for carbonated drinks. Oh, okay. But I I certainly remember the ads and you know the different spokespeople too. I th- I think it was uh, well Michael Jackson was Pepsi. Yeah. Who was New Coke? Was that Paula Abdul? Oh no, I have to look it up. Who did the new Coke ads? I'm going to the internet. But but yeah, I remember you know that, that that was a big thing, and there was a big big backlash, and then you know Pepsi started increasing in its revenue share, so they brought back Coca-Cola Classic, Red, White, and You. I'm I'm quickly looking at new Coke ads. It looks like they wisely chose Max Headroom. Oh. <laughs> he had staying power, Max so. Headroom. Anyway, that, that was a nice little tangent, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope you're all drinking the carbonated beverage of your choice while listening to us. Well, at this point, uh, Roger makes his way to the ticket booth. Yes, window 15. And, Very uh, nice. Window 15. Greeted by a, a, a yeah by the ticket taker. But who is this ticket taker? Why, that would be none other than uh, a, a hero of mine, Mr. Ned Glass. Or... As I used to call him, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> you know, when I was little, and I would watch movies and TV shows. You know, I just, I don't know how old I was, but I started noticing certain faces, certain voices. And I think it was probably Ned Glass's voice. And I just, you know, started to say, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> hey, it's that guy who was in that TV show. And now he's in this movie. And he's, he's always kind of playing the same guy. Hmm. He's a he's he's a little agitated. He's he's uh, he's got a lot of energy. The balding, kind of schlumpy New York guy. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, a legendary character actor, Mr. Ned Glass, who <laughs> surprise surprise was from New York, uh, <laughs> and he 
very long career. He first came to Hollywood in 1937, mm. uh, worked with Buster Keaton, worked with oh, the wow. Three Stooges. He had one role, and he played a guy from New York. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he had a very long career that went into the 1980s. Uh, lots of TV shows, lots of movies. Uh, and as a side thing, uh, he was a, a mentor uh, to a young man, I believe, who lived in his neighborhood, a, a guy named uh, John Lovitz. Oh, look at that. John Lovitz. Yeah, John Lovitz. John Lovitz. I, I kind of <laughs> wonder if his, uh, if his pathological liar character uh that voice was maybe based a little on Ned Glass. Ah. Yeah, my my wife, Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, years ago I heard John Lovitz uh, talking very um, great reverence to Ned Glass. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think he said in, in a little John Lovitz voice, Ned, I want to be an actor too. And you know, I, I believe, you know, he's, he said that, you know, Ned said, what do you want to go do that for? Don't be stupid. <laughs> eh, acting. Eh. But, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Ned Glass is the ticket taker. And he's, he's just one of those, you need a New Yorker, you call mm-hmm. Ned Glass. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's fitting that he's a ticket taker at a train station because I feel like if a New York subway train could talk, it'd sound like Ned Glass. Hmm. Well, there's a, a line that he says that uh, Roger says to Mr. Glass uh, is that, uh, you know, the, he wants to get that ticket. You know, it's leaving in five minutes. Can you make it snappy? And that's <laughs> a saying I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's when was the last that... time you heard somebody say, can you make it snappy? Uh, you got me there. But, you know, a, a couple episodes we were talking about. It's, it's not just the voices or the dialects. It's also phrases. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, make it snappy. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, I, I suppose there's a connection to Snappy Tom, a drink mix I haven't thought of in, in about as long. Yeah. But, yeah. I was looking it up. I, I, I tried to see where, where that, might, that phrase might come from. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get anything definitive, but apparently there was an Eddie Cantor musical review from 1922 called make it snappy so they've been at least using that phrase for a while yeah okay you know i'm sure ned glass knew eddie Cantor. (laughs) yeah could be (laughs) i'm sure cary grant knew eddie Cantor. i guess if something's snappy it's like you can snap your fingers to it so it's you know yeah you know music and make it fast in a snap um you know that I, I now wish I could rewrite one line in uh, Avengers Endgame. Just picture Thanos saying, oh, make it snappy. <laughs> Josh, and Josh Brolin, you know, laughing a lot. Maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, looks at the camera a little bit. Uh, <laughs> snap to it. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. Snap to it. <laughs> yes. Well, that, that kind of turned into the, the late 90s, oh, snap. Right? Yeah. It's so, in a, in a sense, it's still with us today. Snappy, but uh, I love this little uh, scene between these two guys. Yeah, this little exchange. Uh, You never have a two shot, but yeah, it does appear they're they're working together, and it's just you know medium shots back and forth. But it's number one. It's two veteran actors 
who I think are working really well together. Some of the expressions Ned Glass gives to uh, Cary Grant, he, he really conveys this mock, you know, confusion. Like, what do you wear those sunglasses for? You know, what's mm-hmm. your hurry? When you, and then, you, you know, there's a reveal that he's got that newspaper headline mm-hmm. with Roger's picture. So he knows who he's dealing with. But I, I like the line, though, that uh, that Cary Grant delivers. You know, what's something wrong with your eyes? Yes, they're sensitive to questions. Yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice retort right, right out of the script. Good writing. Yeah, but again, I think that's, you know, another actor might have had Roger say that, uh, you know, a little more, if you will, snappy. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, I think, found, you know, the right tone and the right beat to make it funny. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the way he's he's sort of you know, that delivery is just perfect. Yeah, it's it's a it becomes a very funny line. It could have been a kind of a nasty line. Um, mm-hmm. I just I also like the dynamic between these two New Yorkers. I mean, I I think we can assume if if Roger is a native New Yorker, he's been here a long time, but he's uptown, yeah. and this ticket taker is downtown. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's probably grieving for the loss of the Brooklyn Dodgers. I'll never watch baseball again. And, uh, you know, he probably would hate Roger, who's, if he's anything, he's a Yankees fan. And that's, you know, Ah. you're right. Yeah. But, (laughs) uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit of a classic, you know, I'm the uptown guy. Um, I want Mm. some service. I'm the downtown guy. And this is how I, you know, this is how I do things. And, um, you know, one thing I wonder is uh, about five years later, uh, Ned Glass and Cary Grant worked together again in a, a lovely little thriller called Charade, directed by Stanley Don. And it's kind of a, uh-huh. an homage to Hitchcock. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely one of these movies that, you know, I think North by Northwest inspired. You know, it's, it's a very, it's foreign intrigue. Audrey Hepburn is in it. And... Mm. Uh, Ned Glass is in it as uh, one of the bad guys. And so he has a couple of scenes uh-huh. with Grant. So, you know, I wonder if, if that was just sort of a coincidence. You know, oh, nice to work with you again. Or um, did did uh, Cary Grant perhaps, you know, say to Stanley Donnan, oh, you know who'd be good for this role? I've been wanting to work with this guy again. You know, who knows? <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's it's interesting that they had this little encounter, and then they, you know, they they worked again a few years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I I do like the the move that he does that whole ha- holding the hand over the receiver and glancing sideways. You you see that in many many of these type of films, I think, yeah. from sort of, sort of older Hollywood. Yeah, I you know, is I he did, looking. Yeah. I did a bit of a double take because that looks like it actually was filmed there at Grand Central Terminal. For a moment, mm-hmm. I assumed, oh, that must be a set. But uh, no, you can see people milling around in the background. So I just, I, yeah. I just thought about, you know, how big is that room? How do they get the cameras and the lights in there? Uh, <laughs> you know, movie magic. Yeah, it's it's funny. That's a really colorful shot. Uh, I, I another double take I did is in the background when he he grabs that phone. There's there's a, a board with little colored pegs. I'm not sure. Yes. What that is exactly? I assume it's a way to keep track of tickets. 
at, at first I thought it was some kind of a vacuum tube based computing device. <laughs> you know, it sort of had that bleep, blop, bloop, blop, blop look of, you know, when you see a computer mm-hmm. from a movie from this era, you know, right. it's about the size of a row of uh, gym lockers mm. and it's got the flashing lights. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Univac Ticketmaster. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Uh, you know, they're all they're all the different colors are in various uh, specific areas. I, I wonder if that just has to do with like where the seats are located on every specific train. And yeah, yeah, like seating, slide or, it out or something. Yeah, you know, uh, certain lines. Uh, mm-hmm. We will. That answer is out there, and we will hear it. Uh, I wouldn't sure be surprised. There are train if... enthusiasts who are yeah. shouting the answer right now. Yeah. Yes, you fools! <laughs> How could you not know that? You know, it's that's you know you learn that in train 101, but uh, it's it's a funny little testament to uh, the color mm-hmm. of this movie. I mean, this is it's a great looking movie, and the color just pops, and it's just funny when and where you notice things. But that that board is just so stunning and striking, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because it's probably just a drab, dingy old little ticket booth, but. You know, mm-hmm. it just pops there. So, but the Technicolor yeah. process gets it all to pop. Right, right. You know. uh, but then we get that nice uh, sort of uh, "Whoopsie's gone" scene, and that's that's very well done. Just you know, one one scene you expect to see him there, and now he's gone. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and once again, this is it's not a lot happens in these minutes in Grand Central, but on the other hand, a lot happens. Hitchcock keeps everything moving. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a subtle decision of, oh, let's not show Roger suddenly react and leave. Let's show it from the ticket taker's point of view. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's gone, to quote mm-hmm. another movie. And like that, he's gone. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in there. I'm just showing off. <laughs> well, that, uh, that pretty much ends this minute at that point. Uh, see anything else to really say about this? Nope, nope. It's it's uh, like I said. I could probably go on and on about Ned Glass. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, then, with that, uh, I think we'll wrap things up here. You can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, or at the main site HitchcockMinute.com. Social media is available at The Man on Washington's Nose on Facebook and on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. So that's pretty much it. So for Brett, uh, this is Josh Horowitz. Please join us here next time on the Hitchcock and Glass Minute. Do you have a ticket? Yeah, yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are. You can always go, coach. <laughs>